0: Hi,
1: I'm Eric Dewey. And this is Steve O'Mooney.
0: And I'm Matthew Renfro.
1: And we're Socially Awkward. You're listening to another great production on the Four Eyed
2: Radio Network. Check out more shows at foureyedradio.com.
0: It's your good pal Stevo
3: from the Four Eye Radio Network. I'm here to talk to you about a wonderful designer we all know, uh, Revenge Lover. Illustrates and designs that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, please visit revengelover.com. And just do yourself a favor and tell him Stevo sent you.
1: I know it really doesn't count for anything, but I mean, come on. Who's gonna Who are you gonna trust? You gotta trust.
3: You gotta trust somebody else. No, you're gonna trust me, Stevo, because face it, I'm awesome. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride.
1: Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 58 and is being recorded on September 18th, 2015. Today's topic: Star Trek Renegades. I'm Eric. And
3: I'm Aaron. How's it going, Eric? It's going. It's going. It's, it's going. going. <laughs> it's going. So it's been it's been quite it's, a while since It has been a while. I feel like every time we have a podcast I I'm always saying it's been a while.
1: Well, you you got stuff going on in your life, man.
3: That's that's true. Very important things. Yeah.
1: Oh, wait. Did have we done one since your wedding? No. Uh, well, holy crap. We should tell our listeners I actually got to meet you and Marty in
3: person at your wedding. Yeah. Uh it over was crazy. a month ago. Yeah. It was it was very good to to see you live, not virtually. At- yeah, after what, 8 years of knowing you on Twitter? It's been a while on, yeah, it's been a while. It's been a long time. So it was good to finally finally meet you. And, I thought you were uh,
1: gonna be a lot taller in person. No, I'm
3: <laughs> I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm a no. short man. But,
1: but no, I I was very honored that uh you invited me to your wedding and that I, I got to go to it. Um yeah, so well. thank thank you for letting me be a part of that,
3: you know, life changing moment. Oh, thank you for, for being there uh for us.
1: Yeah, and I I wish I could have stayed longer, but I didn't have the time off from work.
3: Yeah, it would have so been I, cool to hang out a little bit longer, but Yeah, well, I, I
1: we got to hang out quite a bit after your wedding, like That's true. I, I was at your place until god like 10 or 11,
3: something like that, yeah. And
1: we're just chilling, which was which was awesome. Yeah. It was nice to meet a lot of your friends too, so.
3: Yeah, there is, we have uh, some cool cats. And I wish I wish I could have people, seen more people, of Boston. Cats. Yeah. <laughs> they're people, they're not actual cats.
1: <laughs> and I got to meet Spock, your dog, which yeah. was cool.
3: Yeah, Spock's cool.
1: He is cool. <laughs> but no, I, I wish I got to explore more of Boston. It seems like a very cool town. Yeah, it's a very old city. Your roads suck though. Like I know. It's, it's they crisscross everywhere and in weird directions, and there's cow paths, it's,
3: man. I know it's crazy. All, the, all of our roads are made from cow paths, originally.
1: Yeah, I actually rented a car and just traveling around Boston. I'm like, I'm glad I had my maps on my phone, like my GPS and everything, because right. you could get lost so easily in Boston.
3: Yeah, there's there's no grids. Um... There is, it's, it's more like a spider
1: web. That's what it's like. Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, they're pseudo grids. Like uh-huh. <laughs> newer streets are, are in a grid pattern, but
1: but they overlay other over other streets that aren't. <laughs> right. It, it creates these like weird turns, and ah, uh, it, it was crazy. Right. But there's a lot of history there, so I I hope to visit uh, one day again soon.
3: Yeah. I'm sure of the city, and I would be happy to host you.
1: You know what would be cool? to, Since Leonard Nimoy grew up in Boston, mm-hmm. to visit a lot of the places that were in that documentary that his son put together.
3: Oh, that'd be cool, yeah.
1: That would be cool. We should do that.
3: Yeah, definitely. Next,
1: next time I'm, I'm in Boston, we should do that.
3: Yeah.
1: Like a Leonard Nimoy tour or something. Right. That'd be cool.
3: Yeah, we could totally do that.
1: Well, how about some news? Because so, a lot of things happened.
3: A lot of things happened, but we're going to omit them. But here are some... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why are we admitting them? No, we're gonna, these these couple of things sure, we're going to talk about. Okay. Uh, So Star Trek turned 49.
1: Oh my god. That's crazy.
3: Yeah, 49 years old. That is well older than me, and well... <laughs> <laughs> yes well you. older than me too <laughs> <laughs> or just about the same age right uh
1: yeah so wait so if it's 43 that would or wait no 49 right 49 years old my dad was 17
3: oh wow
2: when
1: it premiered so yeah i'm i'm definitely a second generation truckie because he he remembers watching it and really digging it
3: that's cool. He was
1: he was at the first uh, Star Trek convention in New York. He That's went cool.
3: to that. Yeah, in the seventies. Yeah, very nice. Love. Of... Did you
1: do Did you do anything during the 49th birthday of um, Star Trek anniversary?
3: I'm trying to think of if I did or not. That was what, ten days ago now. Um, yeah. Hmm.
1: I watched a lot of Next Generation. Hmm. I, I watched the uh I just did a marathon on Netflix. Because Netflix now has the remastered next generation.
3: Right. I was watching I did watch an episode. I don't know if I watched it on the anniversary or not, but it was yesterday's Enterprise.
1: What did you think of all the the renovation to it? I
3: thought that you know the colors were richer.
1: And it's definitely a lot sharper too. Right. And the, the new effects are pretty great too.
3: Yeah. I was trying to think of an episode, like a graphically intense episode to mm-hmm. watch. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Do you recommend any that you've seen?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, definitely Encounter at Far Point. There are. Oh, wow. I
3: wouldn't even have of of watching change. that.
1: <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of changes. Okay. Well, all for the better. And okay. really, God, really, any show, a lot of like the event like two parters Mm -hmm. are pretty good. Like the, the effects laden ones. Oh, the one, the one with the crystalline entity that looks gorgeous in HD.
3: Okay. Anyone with the crystalline entity or anyone? Yeah, because
1: well, the, the, the debut episode. Okay. Where, where they find lore data lore in the first season. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Uh, Definitely, Measure of a Man, because that's the recut version that okay. adds an extra like twenty minutes to the episode. Right, and so in, that was in, the one that was the one that they played in theaters.
3: Do they have all of it in?
1: Uh, I'm not sure about Netflix, but you can tell. you should be able to tell if you go into Netflix and um, when you're hovering over the episode, it'll say how long it is.
2: Okay, just if it's look over.
1: At the... Yeah, if it's over the standard 45 minutes, then it's the extended cut. I hope they would put that on there. Because
3: I know Hulu had the first season remastered. Yeah. Maybe the second season as well. But I watched Measure of a Man remastered, and they didn't have any extra. Mm,
1: Because they extended quite a bit. They extended uh, the courtroom stuff. Um, and some other story points that really drive home and actually makes the episode even more impactful than it originally was. Okay. I definitely recommend it. All
3: right, yeah. We'll have to watch that. Good episode. Definitely. Yeah. Um, And next is actually something that is very recent. It was released yesterday. No. A Star Trek mobile game called star trek wrath of gems oh god so it's a match <laughs> three rpg puzzle quest that allows you to travel through the united Federation of planets in a classic puzzle adventure game playable on your phone and tablet oh so i okay. played i've played a little bit last night all right what do you think it's interesting I thought it was going to be just a like a Bejewel clone and it's okay. not like you have uh, there's missions that you go on and you have uh, you collect ships and characters and you level up your characters and you go up against other ships and other characters and there's a versus mode. How's the graphics? The Graphics are nice. I like the, um, oh, sweet. The uh, stylization of mm-hmm. it. One thing that bothered me, the first gameplay. So I you can pick either TLS or TNG. I went with TNG. Okay. And it starts off with like a training mode, and you're in a holodeck. So it has three characters standing there. I think it's it's uh, Worf, um, LaForge, and Riker. Okay. Now, the Riker that they have standing there has no beard, but when they have, when the characters are talking, there are these yeah. little boxes that have a picture of who it is, and then the text that, like, scroll up the screen. That picture that they yeah, have...
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it now.
3: Yeah. So, that picture... The picture that they have, yeah. It, was the bearded Riker. Okay. So, they have two different Rikers in the same... But why? Same instance. I think it was just uh, an error.
1: No, <laughs> oh. um, do they use the voices of the characters, or is it just text? no? It's just text.
3: The game Damn. does have sounds,
1: like sound effects.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: I kind of want to play it now.
3: It's it's I- I'm it's fun. It. It takes up a lot of battery life. You
1: know what? I found that out to be true with a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. There's a couple Power Ranger games I've downloaded, and yeah, it's horrible at sucking battery life. Yeah, and there's there's some other games too. I played the Fallout Shelter uh, game. Okay, uh, based off the Fallout video game series, mm-hmm. and that drains battery like a mofo. Mm. Like it's really bad. So yeah, I don't I don't recommend it.
3: <laughs> right. So if you're at home or at the office, where well, you should, probably shouldn't be playing a game. But, you shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't. But you know you are. I would. <laughs> I would. I would do it someplace where you could, if you needed to, charge your phone. I wouldn't be doing it while, you know, on a trip somewhere where you don't have access to
1: to battery life. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. Or an outlet. An outlet. Because, man, you can you to be without a phone.
1: <laughs> All right. Well. Cool. Next, Terry Farrell joins Renegades. Her role has not been released. What's this about?
3: Yep, that's basically all the information we know. Uh, well, what is she joining Renegades for? Like, episode two? Yeah, episode two.
1: Which, have they announced that officially?
3: Uh, kind of. They they sort of, sort of have.
1: Well, with this announcement, I guess.
3: <laughs> so... I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard right after they showed this to Paramount and they kind of, or CBS and they rejected it. They
1: oh CBS rejected it.
3: Yeah, that's why it's gee, it's gonna be just a internet series now.
1: Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> we'll we'll get into that.
3: So, and I think that's why they sped up the internet release because I was waiting and waiting because they had the the premiere of it. Right, And then I was like, okay, now that they've had the premiere, when are they going to release it on the internet for us to watch? Yeah. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And then I heard they got rejected, and then, bam, it's on the internet.
1: Alright, here's another thing. I'm at their website right now. hmm <laughs> Would you pay $50
3: for a DVD? No.
1: Plus $5 shipping?
3: No, I wouldn't.
1: For a Blu-ray, would you pay $60?
3: No. (laughs) Does it come with anything besides the DVD? Besides the movie? In a case that the movie is in.
1: It says, Renegade Blu-ray reward. Receive the digital download of the movie poster, access to exclusive web content, the digital download of the film, plus a Blu-ray of Star Trek Renegades.
3: Yeah, that's pricey. You would think that they would have dropped it down.
1: Oh, I guess there is there is extras in here. Because um, they actually just posted seven hours ago that the DVDs and Blu-rays are shipping out today. Packed with tons of extras. DVD includes behind-the-scenes featurette, blooper reel, uh, Captain of My Soul music video <laughs> right. by Sila Scott, or Lex's mother... Mm-hmm. A 45 minutes visual effects behind the scenes documentary.
3: That might be cool. And
1: yeah. And the Blu-ray has all of those extras plus 20 short VFX behind the scenes uh, vignettes.
3: See, so that's cool, but still not $60. It's, cool.
1: It's still pricey.
3: Yeah. And
1: the, the cover art looks cool.
3: Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, and we'll get
1: into this in our review. Like, this this episode looks amazing, right? It really does. I think it's visually on par with Star Trek Continues or, or any of those in terms of production value. Mm-hmm. It's just the story that kills it, <laughs> right? Among other things, but <laughs> right. But like, well, I I don't know. That's that's it for news. Should we just get right into it?
3: Yeah, let's let's jump in. Oh, okay. To the... Uh so the plot of Star uh-huh. Trek Renegades
1: <laughs> Right <laughs> When
3: a seemingly unstoppable new enemy threatens the very existence of Earth, Admiral Pavel Chekhov is forced to work outside the boundaries of Starfleet's rules to combat this deadly new foe. Mm-hmm. When planet after planet winks out of existence, Yet Starfleet refuses to act, Chekhov turns to Commander Tuvok, the new head of Starfleet's covert operations division, Section 31. Together... So, <laughs> together... There, <laughs> yeah, together, they assemble a new elite strike force, consisting of rogues, outcasts, and criminals, led by the fearless, yet haunted... Lexa saying can you get through this <laughs> yeah the renegades mission is simple take out take on an army and stop their leader Barada from destroying the earth outnumbered and outgunned the ragtag crew is in an adrenaline pumping race <laughs> against time and space Oh my god! but they soon find their foes are the least of their concerns the real trouble may be coming from within. Dun, dun, dun! And that's via their website, renegades.com Okay, I will have to
1: say, though, that their cast is made up of very impressive actors. Yeah. That's why I'm so bummed <laughs> that the acting is like, meh, meh. and I don't know if it was because of the story and dialogue they had to work with, but... Mm-hmm. All right, let's run down the cast. All right, Walter, and, Walter Koenig, right. Admiral Chekhov. Holy crap! Like, okay, we we've got our original series connection right there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's awesome. It's freaking Chekhov. Right. All right. Wh- what did you think of Chekhov in this? Let, let's let's when we're doing our cast, we'll, okay. we'll talk about each character.
3: Okay. Uh, I th- thought it was okay. Uh, off. Chekhov...
1: He said he was like what hundred and forty-three?
3: Yeah. So he's yeah. really old in this. Yeah. And he looks old. I mean, he is old. Um... and
1: and in because okay, this this show takes place in twenty three eighty eight. Right. Which is ten years after the end of Voyager. Okay. So at this time, uh, Chekhov is a great, great grandfather. Mm-hmm. Which to me is pretty crazy. Like, I guess if you live that long, yeah, that's gonna happen. Right. But it seems like so commonplace in in the in the Star Trek world. Like, oh yeah, I can live to 143 because even right. Bones,
3: right, he in the original series, 137, I think.
1: Right, and obviously he was older than Chekhov. Right. Uh, in the show. Right. So we know that having a long life in Star Trek is possible. But I think it's. Cool. I think one thing that they did right was was to show the effects of that naturally. Like his great great granddaughter yeah. is joining the academy. Even she's concerned about his health. Right. But he's like, hey, there's all these advances in Starfleet medical science. He's like, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be here when you're a okay. captain, right. <laughs> and um. But we see how far, like, if you do live that long, how much you can serve Starfleet, because in the episode, he has the highest level of security clearance that anyone can have.
3: Right. He's he's the head of security, I believe.
1: Head of Starfleet security.
3: Right. Which I guess he was in the security department.
1: He was in in the movies. That's right. He became a security officer
3: right so I guess it's a uh, natural progression it is uh, but do you see him as a flag officer
1: well I mean I, I think I think Admiral in terms of when, when you're heading a division
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think is different than leading a fleet like he's not mm-hmm. leading a fleet of ships he's right. he's head of one of the whole divisions of Starfleet. Right. So he's not only dealing with ships,
2: so he's but he's dealing with like,
1: prat. yeah, exactly. Right. That's exactly what it is. Right. And and that's what, um, I, I think he's more like, like, you know, the president has, you know, the joint chiefs and, you mm-hmm. know, the, all that kind of stuff. Right. I, I think he's more like that because he still defers to the Federation Council,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but he's head of the whole security division of Starfleet. And that's not just planet or that's not just ships, that's planetary defense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, planet the security of the entire Federation. Right. As a whole. So I don't think he's like commanding ships or anything like that. Like like a fleet admiral would. I think he's just a an admiral in terms of he's ahead of a huge division.
2: Right. Okay.
1: We got Tim Russ reprising his role. As Tuvok. Right. And he was very true to his character. He did very Tuvok things.
3: <laughs> well, I guess. Do you, and he's head of Section 31 in this mm-hmm. in this film. What would you think about that, that?
1: That I did not like as much. Okay. I feel okay. that betrays a little bit of his character in Voyager. Mm-hmm. I can see if they made him like Admiral Chekhov's assistant director of security or something like that
3: that would make more sense yeah
1: because that seems like the more natural progressive uh career path for for Tubok.
0: Mm-hmm. like
1: I could see him you know coming off of Voyager and everyone everyone in Starfleet's like well holy crap he survived the Delta Quadrant you had to go it alone I could see him, you know, rising pretty quickly in the ranks that way. Right. But it looked like the pips, his pips, or they were bars. Right. Th- these uniforms sucked. We'll, but we'll get into that. Right. But it looked like he was a full commander instead of a lieutenant commander. Okay. Which I thought is weird after 10 years because I, I would think he would at least be like maybe a captain level. But I guess it really doesn't matter. And that's another thing. Like he did have like the bars. But with Section 31, they don't have ranks.
3: Yeah, they have, like, uniforms that are completely different. And his uniform was basically the same, except it was purple. Yeah, and he had a rank thing. Yeah, in a a communicator. Section 31 in Deep Space Nine and in Enterprise, they had black leather. Black
1: leathery jumpsuit type. Yeah. And... The whole point of Section 31 is that they don't report to anyone. They're they're separate from Starfleet to protect Starfleet's best interests by any means necessary. Right. So I don't see Duvont doing that. I see him continuing to be a Starfleet officer.
3: And I also don't see... Well, this is in one of my... I think one of my points uh, later on in the episode, but...
1: Well, then we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get yeah, to it. Okay. But... I thought personality-wise, he was still the Tuvok that I know from Voyager. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense within the story why he's Section 31. Right. And that's a story I want to see. Screw these new people. I want to (laughs) see what's been happening in the 10 years since Voyager with Tuvok. Right. I think there's a more interesting story there as to maybe why he joined Section 31. Mm -hmm. There has to be something like that. So I... I liked seeing Tim Ross as Tuvok again, but I didn't like the situation of his character. Okay. Let's put it that way.
3: I agree. I agree.
1: Uh, we've got Adrian Wilkinson as Captain Lexa Singh. Um, yep. But she was actually, uh, she's she's an actress. She's been on many things. She was Xena's daughter in Xena Warrior Princess. Hmm. Uh, she's also been on Charmed, Days of Our Lives, ER, Angel. She's done a lot of voice work um, in animation and video games. Okay. uh, Most notably for Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And she was the voice and physical model for Maris Brood, which is a female Jedi in the Star Wars, The Force Unleashed franchise.
3: Okay, so this sci-fi genre is not new to her.
1: No, it's not. Yeah, the whole, I know we'll talk about this, but the whole, like, oh, I'm a daughter of Khan. Yeah. Like, I thought, I I thought they were just throwing the name, like, Noonie and Singh, just to be like, ooh, there's
3: mm-hmm.
1: something casuals might know.
3: Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I don't think it really fit in the story. Like, if you're gonna just make her some genetically enhanced person and i they were trying to give her a backstory and like these flashbacks and right obviously there's a bigger story there that they're not telling
2: mm-hmm.
1: but for right now we just know that she's a daughter of of khan right and she's kind of a badass and she the icarus is her ship but that's really all we know mm-hmm. what would what, you
3: think of her i wasn't really impressed with the character. Mm. The thing with having her somehow related to Khan was throwing me off a little bit. I think. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that. But... Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Just make her a genetically altered thing. person. Yeah, person. Like maybe someone stole uh, like embryos again, and.
1: Well, that's and... the thing. Yeah, we we see that she has a mom on yeah, on the right. planet, and and, and obviously they're being chased. I mean, I could make up my own backstory. Maybe this woman stole one of the frozen, you know, genetic samples of, you know, the augments,
3: mm-hmm.
1: either impregnated herself or, or raised an embryo like, uh, um,
3: like who's a a Test tube?
1: <laughs> Well, no, like, like an enterprise when, yep. um, yep. when soon, you know, got his own set of augments. Right. But if that's the case, then just say that she's an augment. Don't, don't try to force feed like, oh, Kanunian saying she's the daughter yeah. when there's like a hundred year gap. Right. And I know that's one of your bad points, and we'll get to it. But, yeah. blah.
2: All <laughs>
1: right, we've got we've got Sean Sean Young as Doctor Lucum, and um, sh- she's probably best known for her role in Blade Runner. Mm. She's been in a ton of movies. She was also in Ace Ventura Pet Detective. She's played against Kevin Costner. Yeah. yeah. She was in Wall Street as the wife of Michael Douglas's character. Like, seriously, like, solid
3: actress. Right. I, I enjoyed her in this.
1: Me too. Yeah. And I remember seeing a behind-the-scenes video of Renegade's um, with her and Robert Bicardo. And Robert Bicardo was like, I mean, he was ecstatic to work with her. And he's like, oh, yeah, I get to kiss Sean Young. And <laughs> you know, I, like, I get to make out with her. And um, so I think it's cool that that she's doing uh, science fiction. Obviously, her her first role or one of her first roles was in a classic science fiction movie, Blade Runner but she really hasn't done anything sci-fi since then right and yeah i i liked her character a lot too i think there's there's a strong backstory again again it's like we see we hear about all these backstories or like little hints of it but there's no payoff and i know they're trying to save that for future episodes but for a pilot it's kind of frustrating
3: yeah no i agree and I mentioned this to you online. I mm-hmm. feel like that's one of the downfalls of Star Trek pilots, is that they yeah. try to do too much at once, and the the show or that episode isn't as strong as it could have been.
1: Right, right. I know, like, well, in the television series, yeah, right. all the Star Trek pilots have to introduce the characters start setting their motivations you have to set the tone of the universe so all pilot episodes have a lot to do in a short amount of time Mm -hmm. and some of them are successful some of them aren't i still think broken bow is one of the stronger pilots Mm -hmm. for at least setting up the universe Mm -hmm. uh that enterprise is in without being forced i did like emissary because there was that next generation connection
3: right right so Um, the universe was already established in exactly deep space nine pretty much
1: yeah yeah but yeah so like any pilot uh renegades at least this first uh pilot episode or kind of movie mini movie event type of thing Mm -hmm. it has a lot to do but i didn't like how they were force feeding some of this stuff Right, it's because it's like, yeah. look, your primary audience is going to be truckies. Like, right. you don't need to tie it down to us. We know some of these characters, especially when you're using like Lewis Zimmerman, Admiral Paris, Echeb, right. Tuvok, Chekhov. We know these characters already. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's nice to find out what they've been doing since then, but at the same time you don't need to throw it down our throats in the first episode. Right. And one of my biggest complaints, and I know we'll, we'll expand about it later. One of my biggest complaints of that is that it, it leads to very awkward dialogue exchanges. Yeah. Where it's like, you guys should already know this. Like, why are you internally verbalizing this? I
3: I think I know the exact scene you're referring to. I think. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But we'll get to that. Uh, Next, Robert Picardo as Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, who was the creator of the EMH hologram, they should have just made him the Doctor. He acted more like the Doctor than the Lewis Zimmerman we were shown in Voyager.
3: Yes, that's also one of my points. Uh, In Deep Space Nine, he was a dick. This is not a dick guy. This is a completely different character. But the last
1: time we did see Dr. Zimmerman was in Voyager and he spent time with the EMH and he was softening up a bit Mm -hmm. and I can see it in 10 years, you know, maybe he does soften up. And especially if the love of his life is Dr. uh, uh, Lucen. Um, That's
3: the only time you see interaction with him is with her.
1: Right. Because, and it's not really a spoiler, but, Right. Um, because oh, let's just say communi-
3: that this episode is going to be a spoiler. Let's just put that out there. Now. Oh, this, whole, this whole big thing is a spoiler yeah,
1: because it's our review of it. Well, the thing is, like, his interactions with Dr. Lucian is via, like, a tactile long-range hologram transmission. Which is cool. It's very cool. And I'm glad that they're showing these advances in Starfleet tech. It's a natural progression from the EMH mobile emitter. Right. Like to me, that's just the next step, especially since he's the inventor of you know all these great holographic things. Mm-hmm. So I can see that being practical. I thought it was hilarious that he's like, "Hey, maybe we should try more of those tactile simulations." I,
3: yeah, I, uh I actually, I, it right, was well, funny, but I kind of didn't. Oh right, yeah,
1: but necessary. we'll get to that. But it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't out of character for him because. We've seen how much of a flirt he is in canon Star Trek series, especially Deep Space Nine. Right. So I thought Rob, Robert Picard great. He's always great in whatever he does. I I love the character of the Doctor. The Doctor is one of my favorite characters in Voyager. Robert Picardo was a real highlight of Renegades for me, even though he yeah, was he, briefly in it. I agree. Um, he was he was really a highlight. And again, it's. It's it's these veteran actors that you know in Star Trek. And that's the thing. There there are many great characters that we've seen before in Renegades. And honestly, without them, I wouldn't have bothered watching this, to yeah. be to be honest. They're like the existing characters that we know are the stronger parts of Renegades. Right. Next we have Richard Hurd reprising his role as Admiral Paris, is a fantastic actor. Uh, he was in the miniseries V he was in Sequest obviously Voyager as Owen Paris, the father of Tom Paris. he did guest spots on Quantum Leap uh, he's been in a ton of stuff like yeah. he's one of those actors that you're like oh I know that guy right um, I
3: kind of wish we saw more of him
1: I do too I really do and I wish that he didn't
3: die right Oh, yeah. my good lord! There were so many deaths in this movie. There were a lot of deaths. Yeah.
1: Um. Next, we have uh, Gary Graham as the character Ragnar. Obviously, Star Trek fans know him as uh, Soval right. from Enterprise. Uh, but also, he's a legend in sci-fi shows, Uh I mean, he he also guested on Voyager, also Enterprise as Saval, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, he was Detective Matt Sykes in Alien Nation, uh, which is another classic sci-fi TV show. Yeah, so he's he's been in a lot of shows, and he's no uh, stranger to science fiction. And he's also reprising his role as Saval in. Star Trek, that other thing. And Axanar. Star Trek, a- Axanar. Yeah. Yeah. But his character here, I didn't like as much. He's just...
3: He was unnecessary.
1: <laughs> he was very unnecessary. He was just the human renegade
2: dude. Right.
1: Like, the, they really didn't do a lot with his character. Yeah. A- aside from being, like, kind of secondhand to Lexus Singh,
3: Yeah, I-, I feel like they kind of just had him in here is because... Because he's a veteran Star Trek actor. Yeah, like
1: like uh, uh, it's this guy, you right. know him. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. We've got Manu Intirami.
3: E- <laughs> Damn it! I love you, um, but we can't say your name.
1: No, Manu Intira, Intirami Intirami <laughs> Intirami
3: Intirami
1: <laughs> Intirami. As,
3: as Manu Intir-
1: Yes, Egypt. <laughs> Obviously, uh, well, U- Icheb is from Voyager.
2: Right.
1: He was the ex-Borg that they saved. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of um, guest spots on on television. Uh, so he, he's had a really good career. Um, he's super nice on social media. Yep. Um, he, he follows me on, on social media. Uh, I've talked with him a few times. Great guy. I think he's he's around our age. So, yeah, he's he's a really cool guy. It's great to see Echeb back. I really liked Echeb in Voyager. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of the greater uh, recurring roles on Voyager. I wish they had something, just anything, a little nod or something, when they're all together in the office. And Tuvok's right there. Like, right. But not even like, oh, hey, Tuvok, how's it going kind of thing. We'll like, like no, nothing like that.
3: But here's the thing. You could build on that backstory because Section Thirty One was the ones up. that
1: experiment experimented yes. on him. They experiment
3: yeah. with him. And now Tuvok is head of Section Thirty One. Okay.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
3: So does Icheb <laughs> hate Tuvok for what he's done to him? Did yeah. Tuvok do this to him? Who knows?
1: Yeah, that's the thing. There's so much there's so much backstory there that just focusing on, on this weird like mission thing to save the earth. Like I get it. You want these characters to be heroic and you want them to be dragged into a great story. But at the same time, I feel a pilot should introduce the characters better. Right. Like, and that's the thing we're kind of in media race of this whole story. Like, this crew has already been together for a while. They've already done a bunch of missions. Mm-hmm. So really for us, the audience, the only way to find out about them is through either flashbacks, which we don't get that very, been... very little of, right. we only get Lexa's. Right. So the only thing that they're forced to do, and I've said it before is these weird force dialogues.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, let's try to get through the rest of these characters
3: yeah there's a um, lot of them
1: yeah uh courtney Peldon as Shree, or boobs mick and dorian <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: um but she has been in star trek before uh she was in deep space nine uh she was the she was in command of that uh red oh, was it like those, those oh, cadets Red Squad. Red
3: Squad. Yeah. yeah.
1: She was the, the girl that was the captain of that defiant-class ship.
3: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: Yeah. So she's been in Star Trek before. Uh, she's been in a ton of shows and movies. She's obviously very beautiful.
3: Mm-hmm. And yeah,
1: so hey, paint her blue and put a low-cut shirt on her, I'm sold. Might but, as well
3: <laughs> made her an Orion. At, at that point, yeah. It would have um, made sense for... It would have made more sense, I think, but Anyway,
1: I I do like Shree. There there is like, I like her sarcastic attitude. I like that she's a hacker. We don't see many hacker types in a Star Trek series. Mm -hmm. So I want to see more of that aspect of her character. Um, But yeah, I thought thought she was okay. Again, it's like one of those scenes where it's like, I want to know more about these characters and what we got in the pilot. Wasn't enough for me, right? Uh, next we have uh Larissa Gomez as Talea, who I guess is a Romulan assassin, (laughs) yeah. That Chekhov hires,
3: yeah, that's weird in itself. Well, Chekhov hires the hacker and he hires an assassin,
1: and I get it, he's he's head of security, he can kind of get away with that, and he's doing some back. Ali deals himself Mm -hmm. but at the same time how far can he trust these characters right and they all seem like they've worked with him before Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day you know they're all renegades they're all they can all backstab you in in a way right and really the only thing in it for them is money and the job and there's no real loyalty so
3: It shouldn't be. I feel it shouldn't be the head of Starfleet Security hiring these people. It should be the head of Section Thirty-One hiring these people.
1: Yeah, it's Tuvok, and and that that was another annoying thing about Renegades. It's like, who's really the main top guy? Right. Like, is is Chekhov the main top guy or is Tuvok? Like, make up your well, mind.
3: From what I heard, Chekhov is only going. To, will only be in the second one. He won't be in any following episodes.
1: I see. And I can see that passing the torch off to Tuvok, like maybe the renegades just operate out of section 31, mm-hmm. which is essentially what they did in this episode. Right. I thought her character was really fairly throwaway.
3: Yeah, she was very pretty.
1: but Again, a very pretty woman. They, there's all a bunch of
3: pretty women in yeah, this. Yeah, everyone on, everyone on this cast is beautiful. They're, they're all the gorgeous. Men, everyone's attractive in, in this Yes, yeah.
1: Which is what you want in a Star Trek. You know, that perfect future type of thing. At times it feels like there's so many characters that they all get disserviced. Right. In a way.
3: I agree. Totally.
1: Uh, next we have uh, Coran Nemec as Captain Alvarez.
3: Did not like I him. really,
1: I really liked his oh, captain
3: a lot. you liked him? <laughs> okay. I didn't no, like him. Oh, you didn't like him? i did not like him no
1: i thought there was some personality there which was good mm-hmm. um it's always good to see the starfleet perspective of this most people know him from the stargate franchise as jonas quinn he was also in stephen king's the stand which is a very popular miniseries and he was also The title role in Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I don't know if you remember that.
3: Holy crap. That's him. That's him? That's
1: Parker Lewis, yeah. What?
3: Yeah. Oh my, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so... (laughs) Apparently you can lose, Parker. (laughs) (laughs) Because I did not like your character. I don't know what it was. I didn't like him. Uh, Maybe it was like his cocky attitude or something. I think so. Uh, I think I what I didn't like is like, you have the security officer and then back the tactical officer, whatever she is. I didn't
1: like her at all. She was super annoying, but she was like, captain, captain,
3: captain. And he was, he was just going for it. I don't know. Yeah. And then he calls it off last minute. I, he, there was too much of a vengeance factor with him. It seemed
1: again, it's more backstory that we were not privy to.
3: Yeah. Maybe if I knew more about his character Yeah, you're right Exactly, Well,
1: like, it, it was it was more like Ooh, that, that Icarus again Ooh, I've got this vendetta that we'll never talk about And, yeah, that's Well, another again, thing
3: he was like Oh, if I, you're a wanted criminal If I turn you in, I'm gonna get a medal like, Which,
1: they, yeah, you're right I mean, that's totally off base for a Starfleet captain yeah. Completely Right their Starfleet captains aren't in it for glory; they're in it for and the mission. That's the whole point of of Starfleet. So yeah, that that line, not good. Yeah, and it's just it's a pattern of not that great writing too. Right. Uh, next we have Bruce Young as the main villain Barada. A lot of people might remember him. As uh Captain Simon Banks from the UPN sci-fi police drama The Sentinel. I don't know if you remember watching that.
3: I, I didn't watch The Sentinel.
1: I love The Sentinel. It was a really great well it was one of the few UPN like sci-fi drama shows that I liked. Hmm. But he was in Jurassic Park 3.
3: You didn't Basic like Agents, Boys and... in space?
1: <laughs> No, I did not. Thank you. Anyways, he's another one of those actors where you're like, oh yeah, it's that guy. So he's done a lot of stuff. I thought Barada was very menacing, which is what you want in a mm-hmm. villain. Yep. I thought he played the role well, and yeah. I thought the the makeup was not a hindrance to his acting. His his acting really shone through the makeup. Right. Which, which is important. Thankfully it did. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well we're going to get there. Yeah. Uh, Next, Edward Furlong as Fixer. Everyone knows him as John Connor from Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Right. He, he's, he's been in some stuff, uh, American History X, which also had Deep Space Nine's Avery Brooks. Uh, he played, in 2005, played the lead in the fourth film in the Crow series called The Crow Wicked Prayer, which I didn't know was a thing.
0: Um
1: <laughs> <laughs> and and he was also in the the new Green Hornet reboot, but everyone knows him as John Connor from Terminator 2. I loved his character. His I, character, I aside from the character the characters that we already knew in Star Trek, his was really one of the few original characters in Renegades that I really liked mm-hmm. because I, I just liked his character because it's not often we see like really quirky brilliant individuals like that right he was the head engineer for the icarus which is in itself the ship you know it's it's old but it has new technology and it's very it feels very piecemeal like right like a, a rag and rag tag ship right uh, just like the crew so i like that his nickname was fixer and
3: yeah i i i, loved I like his humor yeah me too. yeah i loved his character he reminds me of Simon Pegg's Scotty a lot in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: definitely. So, yeah, his character was great. We've got Chastie Bellesteros as Ronara. She's been in some shows. Um, it, she's been in Smallville. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. She was the Betazoid. Um, she was in Smallville, Supernatural, Sanctuary. She's been in Psych. So she's she's been in a lot of shows. Really didn't like her character.
3: I completely agree.
1: It's it's nothing against the actress. Mm-hmm. Again, it's mainly the writing. The that infamous exposition scene that we're going to get to. Right. Which is basically one of the first times her character is really fully introduced. That ruined her character for me. It yeah. was like it was just it was like, mm, okay. And and again, it's another thing that we'll talk about. Beautiful woman, mm-hmm. great. We've had a lot of beautiful women in Star Trek, but but holy, popping out of your hoodie, <laughs> like like good god, yeah. Uh, next we have Tara Page as Commander Petrona. Is this
3: the? I think is this is the girl cicada? we don't like. That was uh, Captain, right?
1: I I think so. Yeah, wasn't a fan. Yeah, sorry.
3: That she, was she beamed down with. Uh, yeah, she she got
1: tricked. Yeah, yeah. Because if if you watch it, they have a the holographic thing and they think they're beaming down Chekhov, but it's really Gary Graham's character. With... see again, I'm like forgetting these names because it's just like meh. It's 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 not it's forgettable.
3: Yeah, the only thing I remember is Lexa, but um, that's because I ass- I'm associating it with Khan.
1: No, I remember Lexa, I remember Fixer. Yeah. I remember Alvarez and Shree, like Echeb and again oh, I
3: yeah.
1: all, all the characters I know, but right. of these new characters, she's one of the ones that's like well, I had trouble remembering that her name was Patrona. Like, okay, who are you? Yeah. All I remember is that you're the annoying security officer, which was again highly annoying. So right. yep. yeah. Kevin Fry as Jero Rook. Um, I wish that he didn't get killed because he seemed like a really
3: interesting character. Um, I don't know about that. I don't know if he was an interesting character.
1: I think he was interesting in that he was a Bajoran that actually worshipped the Pa race, not yeah. the not the um the prophets. Right. So that would have been nice to explore
3: that side of it. I, I suppose uh, he just seemed like a bitter Bajoran.
1: Yeah, and we've seen a ton of bitter Bajorans throughout Deep Space Nine,
3: and it was like one more, like, eh. Right, yeah, it just seemed like a stereotypical Bajoran.
1: Yeah. Moving on, we've got Grant Imahara as Lieutenant oh Okay, Grant, I love you as Sulu in Continues, but just stay in Continues, because, um, I don't know, I, I guess like he's okay i mean he plays a good sulu but yeah this lieutenant masaru it just felt like more of the same type
3: of acting from him yeah just a flat character
1: yeah and then he's like dun 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 he's the big bad reveal the the puppet guy right but then he's got some weird energy thing in him that was actually controlling him which is another mystery that they're basically leaving for more episodes, right? So totally throwaway character. Obviously, he's best known for uh, being a MythBuster, and also as Sulu in Star Trek Continues. Right. So uh, we've got Rico E. Anderson as Boros. He was the son of uh, Barada. I thought I thought the the aspect of the son trying to surpass the father mm-hmm. was good. Like it seemed like they were setting up while. Like, if my dad's not going to do it, I'm going to go out and prove myself. But then he gets killed, like, halfway into the movie. So it's right. like, whatever. Right. And I, I really liked the interaction between the father and son villains. Mm-hmm. And it was just completely cut away in this first episode. Like, there could have been so much more than that. I haven't really seen anything else this actor has been in. But I thought he did a decent job in, in this. Yeah. With, with what he had. Um, We've got Vic Mignogna as Garrus. Again, he's Kirk and Star Trek Continues. Mm -hmm. He's a very prominent anime voice actor. That's what I first knew him from. Uh, I've met him at a couple cons before. Great, super great guy. He's he's literally the biggest Star Trek nerd ever. And it was good to see him play uh, Cardassian. But again, it's another character that gets killed and we don't see again. Which sucked because I actually liked his character for the the little amount of time that we had. Yeah, so I, I think it was more of like a hey, here's another big name.
3: And a it, species that you've seen before in Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Like this um, is Star Trek, we have a Bajoran, we have a Cardassian. You've seen these yeah, before.
1: Yeah. And then there's there's other uh untold additional cast. But at least at least half of these were um, were really good actors. I mean, they they're really good in the stuff that they've been in before, mm-hmm. but in this, not so much. And I don't know if it's because of the story or or what. Right. So, yeah, and yeah, they, they, they got a ton of other people listed in here, but we're not going to get into that.
3: Yes, let's let's not because so, there's but... so many people that they have in this. <laughs> but
1: I I know we've kind of been bagging on this a lot. So let's, let's talk about what we thought was good.
3: Okay. So I thought most of the CGI ship elements looked great. The Archer and the Icarus were, would both easily fit into the Star Trek universe.
1: I really agree with that. All the ships were fantastic. They had some great uh, Klingon D7 cruisers, mm-hmm. which looked amazing. The Archer looked fantastic. It was a class that we haven't seen before, but it's still it could easily fit into that next-gen era of ships. Right. Uh, the Icarus was awesome. Um, in fact, it's, it's one of the better ships that I thought I'm really intrigued about the design of the ship because mm-hmm. there are Starfleet elements to it, like the warp nacelles, right. but that main hull looks like that forked head of like a Klingon battle cruiser. Yes, it, it definitely looks like a mash of Klingon and Federation technology.
3: It's definitely an odd design.
1: It's odd, but I think it, it's really cool, and it works as like a like a renegade ship. Like if if this was really pieced together, it would make sense that they would borrow technology from different species. Right, but. I, I'm curious about the ship itself. Like, why was it built? Who owns it? Mm-hmm. Well, we know Lexa owns it, but how did she come across it? Right. What's the history of the ship? And the ship looks small enough. It, it's only, God, I would say maybe defiant size or slightly bigger. Like yeah, it's a fairly small ship.
3: Five or six decks, maybe at max Yeah, at max.
1: And yeah. So I, I'm curious about the Icarus. I, That's why I can applaud the effects in this because Mm -hmm. if your effects are so good that you're making me wonder about the history of a ship you built, like that's great world building. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that they really did well with this. The effects are absolutely fantastic, right? There's no doubt about that.
3: Definitely agree. Uh, and we mentioned before the uh inclusion of many previously established characters that are played by the original actors makes the, I I think it makes the plot or the pilot, sorry, not the plot, (laughs) the pilot seem more authentic.
1: Oh, absolutely. Within the first five minutes, there's, we've got Chekhov, Tuvok, boom. Like we've got two major players from two different Star Trek series in the first five minutes of this film. That's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And they had significant parts Hell, this whole movie was directed by Tim Ross. Right. So it's great to see that these Star Trek actors are still passionate about making new Star Trek. And and you're right. It makes everything more authentic.
3: Right. And I also enjoyed the uh, conspiracy element. Mm-hmm. And I wish there was more focus on that instead of the siphons. Or... Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really like the conspiracy. I like that they're building up to this mystery. And it seems like that's going to be the ongoing thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, because pretty much the final scene is Chekhov telling them, well, hey, someone's manipulating it. We don't know who it is. We're going to try to help you guys find out. But they're using you, and they all have stuff against you.
3: Yeah. Like, So we're going to use you
1: to uncover this plot.
3: <laughs> right. So there's they're still uh, blackmailing them to work for them.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. There's this whole thing with, with renegades. It's all very um, about back dealing and you know covert ops
2: mm-hmm. and
1: mercenaries, which is fantastic because that's a side of Star Trek we don't see, right? Especially when it comes to the Federation. So the concept of the series i think is awesome Mm -hmm. but starting out the pilot by already vanquishing a major villain like why couldn't they if this was going to be an ongoing series why couldn't that be the overarching villain for the entire
3: series yeah like like the kazon's in star trek voyager
1: you know what i mean (laughs)
3: like yeah but it's like okay you
1: spent all this money on these new ship designs for these villains, all the makeup for these villains. Right. Yeah. And then you basically wipe them out. Right. And there's so much mystery there. There's like, and and now we're getting into kind of like the bad of it, but I mean, what for everything in this, there's, there's good points and it seems like there's a bad point to counteract it immediately. Right. Right. Which is not a good sign. I think the Siphons could have been an interesting... Like, if they were truly going to make this like a, a season type of show or like maybe a five-episode miniseries or something, I would have saved them for the the whole series. Mm-hmm. Like, this this right. pilot episode, the back half of this pilot episode actually felt like a season finale, and that's not good. Right, right. <laughs> well, like, it felt like you were closing plot lines which we haven't even explored yet Mm -hmm. so i think that's what really irked me about the overall story of it but you're right i like the conspiracy element more than like the big big bad threatening the world type of thing
3: right and finally on my list of good fixer who's probably my favorite character in the pilot i enjoyed his backstory although it's a little hard to believe the hologram could pass as a human to the entire crew for years without some sort of glitches occurring.
1: I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. He was, he was a great character. And if, if they did treat this like a pilot episode where, where you're actually gathering a crew, if, if he had been there, like, and they don't know each other, then I could see that. But, as established in this pilot, they've been a crew for a while. They've done a lot of stuff already. So, yeah, it just it felt weird.
0: Right.
1: But I did like his character a lot. One of the things that I really liked, I really liked the Leonard Nimoy tribute in this. Mm-hmm. It was very respectfully done. You know, Chekhov sitting with his granddaughter in a Starfleet Academy Garden. And we see the opening shot of that scene is the Admiral Nimoy Memorial, which I thought was a nice tribute to
3: Leonard Nimoy. Yes, I agree.
1: I like that there's n- new tech that's introduced, like the tactile holograms, uh, the port- portable holographic transmitter, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Icarus itself with uh, its devastating main weapon that takes out a Klingon cruiser. Uh, in one shot. And to me, I, I like that they didn't use that again in the episode. I felt like that's like a like a really desperate last-ditch effort weapon. One of the great things about Star Trek is also the technology. And again, if we're going 10 years after the end of Voyager, obviously we're going to see some new tech develop. And even, even the Klingons mentioned... Uh, you know, new holographic technology. Although that—that that was the Icarus. Mm. That, that was the Icarus portraying the clan. So I don't know if that's entirely true. Right. Um, I liked the the infiltrating the base mission mm-hmm. of, of the enemies. Like all of that was really awesome because we don't get to see a lot of that in Star Trek. Like you and, know,
3: and you guerrilla
1: tactics and
3: right, and you see. Th- Speaking of new technology, these what they call dragonflies, which are little drones that go out and survey the area. Yeah.
1: Um, I, again, it's something we, we see a lot now in, in other science fiction movies. Um, if you've seen Prometheus, which is the uh, prequel to the Alien franchise, they had similar types of little drones which they flew in the air, they're spherical they shoot out lasers in all directions and scan mm. the, the path, much like what happened here in uh, Renegades. And that's maybe where they got the idea from.
0: Mm.
1: Um, but I, I, I really like that technology too. Uh, that was really cool. But yeah, the whole infiltrating the base, them planning it out, then executing that plan, it really lived up to the, the the renegade type of feeling. Like they're all mercenaries, they're doing a job. Like, I, I really like that aspect of it. And I, I thought that uh, the infiltration mission was awesomely done. Like, like as one of their bigger action set pieces, I thought it was pretty good. Right. Uh, one of the other things that I really liked was all the Easter eggs in uh, Chekhov's office Uh, on the wall, you see a photo of the entire uh, bridge crew from the original series. Right. And in the background uh, on one of Chekhov's like tables, uh, you see a Klingon bird of prey model. Hmm. Obviously that has to be the HMS bounty from star Trek three and four. So I guess that mission was really memorable for Chekhov because he He almost died. Well, he almost died, but no, I mean, it's, he also, it's basically another ship that his crew served on. Right. Technically. I mean, they, they commandeered that vessel and and made it their own Mm -hmm. and they did a full mission on it that saved the Federation. So I thought that was a really nice touch. And it's one of those things where if you're a, a long-term trunky, you're going to pick that out instantly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, Chekhov would have a model of the Klingon Bird of Prey because that's the HMS bounty. Like, there it is. So I, I know that all of the people working on this really care about the quality of it. Um, that's obvious from the production design. F- the filming looks great. It's a beautifully shot and well done visually from start to finish, which leads us into the bad. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. So, Section 31 needs to recruit renegades to do their sure. covert operations. Isn't that the whole point of Section 31? Has it been disbanded and only two VOC remains?
1: That's interesting. Well, yeah, the, the whole thing with with section 31 in this it's weird like yeah why do they have to renegade recruit renegades that's the whole thing about Section 31 is that they're doing the renegade stuff that starfleet doesn't want to do why why are the renegades hiring different renegades right (laughs) and at least in the star trek novel series there has been mentions of section 31 starships hmm and in fact, we see a Section Thirty-One starship in Star Trek Into Darkness.
3: That's very true. So, Section Thirty-One does have their own ships and the ability to construct them in secret.
1: Exactly. So that's what leads me to believe: this is it like so? Is the Icarus a Section Thirty-One ship that Lexis Singh stole? Like, what's the point? Right. I don't know. Like, like the whole yeah. Yeah, uh, it's like one of those things. It's where it's like, um, it's kind of like one of those memes where it's like, I don't think you know what that word means. So like <laughs> that's how I felt like Section Thirty-One. It's like whoever wrote this, I'm like, do you really get the whole point of Section Thirty-One? Because they they are the renegades in the Star Trek universe. Right. So yeah,
3: I I totally see your point. Next, we kind of discussed it. So <laughs> Lexa. They say it's Khan's daughter or child of Khan. Obviously, that wouldn't be possible. There's over 100 years between his death and when this episode takes place. Yeah. Well, my
1: speculation is, you know, maybe maybe the term daughter of Khan means that she's descended from Khan's DNA. Like, because the person who says that is is Garris the Cardassian, and he says it like, "Oh, the great Lexus Singh, daughter of Kanunian Singh." Like, I, I, I kind of thought that was more in terms of like maybe not
3: his actual daughter, like a granddaughter, or a great granddaughter, or something. Yeah,
1: something like because the the way he said it, like a daughter of, he said a daughter of of Kanunian Singh. Mm. So I'm thinking maybe that's just like like a term like like you hear terms of that like
3: son of like Moog. Oh, yeah.
1: son of Mo, exactly like son of Moog, or you know yeah whatever like almost like a religious term in a way right like i am a son of god or, or something like that like right so yeah so, cuz
3: it's a stretch but i can i can see it's it it's a stretch but so, I mean,
1: technically he might, she might be his daughter, but you know, his, his mom who looked kind or her mom who looked kind of young, mm-hmm. you know, maybe she, again, we're, we're trying to invent backstory for something that they didn't explain to us in the show.
3: Right. I feel like I don't time th- travel is definitely involved in this somewhere.
1: Right. Because in the story, the main villains are pissed off because 300 years ago, they say that Starfleet... Destroyed them with their technology Right And Lexa brings up the point Well Starfleet didn't exist 300 years ago Right And he's like are you questioning my history Or like are people's history So yeah I think there's definitely some time shenanigans involved So that's the whole mystery Because face value Khan died over 100 years before this episode aired And she doesn't look 100 years old No And I know Augment's are enhanced humans but even that's a stretch because Khan did age yeah the augments are not they're not immortal right and if Lexa was born over a hundred years ago I don't I don't think that that's it no. so so she's either a clone or you know one of the augment embryos or something
3: cryogenically frozen yeah th- th- there's got to be something. So the uniforms, <laughs> um, yeah. Beyond, let's go beyond the fact that they are ill-fitting and poorly designed. Uh, why do the female uniforms have a plunging neckline?
1: Because sex sells, Aaron. Because <laughs> boobs. That's like half of this goddamn, half of the fe- or most of the female cast in this show. We've got cleavage everywhere.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, the the Starfleet uniforms are a complete joke in this. They are. And aside from Continues, which uses officially licensed and designed tunics that actually look like they're from the show because they're made with the same materials and everything, like, why go to the point of completely redesigning the Starfleet uniform when we really already know what's going to be the Star Trek uniform 10 years from Voyager. Right. Because we've seen it in multiple different shows. We've seen it in All Good Things, Mm -hmm. that future design, which Voyager used when Admiral Janeway went back in time.
3: Yeah, in Endgame.
1: In Endgame. It's already established that what the future uniform is going to be. Especially because we've seen it from two different timelines. Mm -hmm. In the Star Trek universe and Star Trek Possible Futures. So go with that. Or if you want to still be a little canon about it, use the uniform that was designed for the game that's still going on that takes place in Star Trek's future.
3: Oh, and that's yeah.
1: kind of semi-canon. Use that uniform. Yeah. But it just this was like a complete step back from Starfleet's designs. Yeah. Like the the braiding was weird. The braiding like, yeah. Yeah, they look like tunics. Like this is more of like a post original series type of uniform more than anything.
3: Yeah, I mean, they look bad, and yeah, that's
1: that is my number one pet peeve with all of these Star Trek uh, film projects, like fan film projects. Mm -hmm. The uniforms always look like complete, right? Like they don't fit. Uh-huh. They're made from substandard materials, which picks up very easily when you're filming in HD. Right. They look horrible. The only uniforms that or the only outfits that look great in this were anyone that wasn't Starfleet. <laughs> right. Everyone else's costumes look great. And the Starfleet ones look like badly designed pajamas.
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. They were terrible. And inconsistent.
1: They were very inconsistent. It, it, it sucked.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, They're they're bad. Like I mean, they could have picked up like cheap, like <laughs> cheap costumes of like uh, a Voyager costume, or next gen costume. Oh God! Yeah. Anything. It, even
1: the first content uniforms. Like spend some of your budget and. You know, buy the Anovo stuff.
3: Like, yeah. anything. Right, <laughs> anything.
1: <laughs> anything except this. I would have been fine if these were first contact uniforms. Yeah. I could see Starfleet keeping around that uniform for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because really, when Admiral Janeway went back, that was after 24,
0: uh, 2400.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So, you can still keep those a little bit in the future the the first content kind of uniforms would have been great here yeah and and they're they're really when you're doing a movie like this that's a relatively cheap w- if you're buying the official novo stuff like mm-hmm. get someone official i'm sorry but whoever designed those that was crap mm-hmm. they were made like crap they yeah. look like crap on screen and really it made the it felt more like galaxy quest it made the mm-hmm. It made the Starfleet scenes seem more cheap than they should have been.
3: Right. And you only have a handful of Starfleet officers anyway. Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly.
3: (laughs) And I'm sure some of them were the same size. They could have, if they weren't in the same scene, (laughs) worn someone else's uniform during that scene.
1: all, All of those uniforms were a step back in terms of the design evolution that we've seen in the uniforms in Star Trek, mm-hmm. like chronologically, mm-hmm. that literally looks like Starfleet said, F- it, "Let's go retro and use uniforms a hundred years ago." Right, like it feels like Starfleet went into this into the vault <laughs> and said, "All right, we're doing uh, retro uniforms this decade." Like right. it just it felt bad. It, it, it looked bad. It was bad.
3: Yeah, I did like their communicator design, though it didn't doesn't fit in with the timeline at all
1: again we already know what the future communicator is going to look like use that right another thing that we saw in multiple future timelines
3: Mm
1: -hmm. and that replica is already available at qmx
3: yeah i like that design i like that communicator i
1: I love that communicator too yeah that's why voyager used it in in their finale right i mean all this stuff is already available for them like you could have saved your production designer some time and just say, Hey, just buy the future stuff that's already available. Right. If they did that, that would elevate as simple as that is, that would have elevated Renegades even more slightly. Mm-hmm. If they used official future uniforms, then it fits better in continuity with me.
3: Right. I think the issue with the communicator pins is that they use them as a a perk? So I don't think they would have been able to use official. <sighs> then
1: do something else. Yeah. Like do something else as a perk. Like I I don't know. Like I get it, but that, that that's that's another thing. That's another issue I have with fan films now. But anyways, continue
3: on. Ah, <sighs> so much more to go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so the and, siphon
1: and the only the only reason I didn't put more because I agree with everything that you've said here. Okay. So I had to add very little.
3: Yeah. Um the siphon makeup overall is acceptable except for the Planet of the Apes style mouth. Now I'm talking about the nineteen sixties mouth pieces that don't move.
1: This I'm gonna have to disagree with you a little bit. Really because
3: like inside their mouth was fine, but like that outer part
1: no i get it i get what you're saying yeah but it seemed like they added a little bit more motion control to it because that scene when Barada's son first like really count contradicts him mm-hmm. um you can see the the lip and that whole piece move and and he breathes out and the whole thing inflates and it's it's definitely way more animated than the planet of the ape style mouth okay I think you're being a little harsh there. Uh, overall, maybe. that makeup yeah. was pretty good. Like, I, pretty overall, damp.
3: I like the makeup. I just, I don't know. Because, like, you have that, you know, coming out. No, and then her teeth that. are so far set back in there. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So it kind but... of looked weird. I felt like the teeth should have been out further. If, you, if you're going to have, like, that kind of mm. protrusion.
1: I see. I see. But they really did a good job of hiding, like, the natural human mouth and teeth. hmm Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, th- that, a lot of people get that wrong. So, I think they really ace the makeup. Mm-hmm. I can see it being a little bit like Planet of the Apes style, but overall, for, for a fan film, that's some damn good makeup for an original
3: Alien. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I like the fact that they have an original Alien.
1: Oh, yeah, me too. Well, one of the good points, I thought, was all the other makeup. The Andorian makeup, fantastic. Mm-hmm. The Orions look good yeah. that were in there. The Cardassian looked really good.
2: Yeah.
1: Who else has really good makeup? Well, just just overall, it, it was very yeah. good makeup. Yeah. For for, for the aliens. Uh, oh, and the Klingon makeup was really good, too. That Klingon yeah. captain. Yeah. That's true. Like He was pretty menacing. That was really nice. Yeah. I agree. It's just it, the Starfleet that looked like crap.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Next up. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Something that you seem to have enjoyed. Oh, uh, to a point. Because <laughs> I agree with you on this. Yeah. So it's very overtly sexual. Uh, too much eye candy. Not enough character development.
1: Yeah, and there's one point where the one of the siphon aliens is, you know... Almost threatening rape against the um, Beta Zoid character, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm like that's a bit unnecessary. But the unnecessary cleavage too. Like right. Star Trek has always had beautiful women, but are strong and they don't need to flaunt their sexuality. Right. the The only characters that that really do that are Deanna Troy, but it's still tasteful. Like all of her outfits, it's not like. Whoa! Hey there. Right. And seven to nine, yeah, she had a catsuit, suit, but it wasn't tasteless. Everything was like covered. I thought. Yeah, it was covered. This was like, oh hey, I'm a Betazoid. Look at these big boobs, and <laughs> and the freaking Andorian. Like I know Andorians are very passionate, uh-huh. but this was like, goddamn, they're out there.
3: <laughs> yeah, and she had a our first encounter with her is a sexual scene. Yeah. Um,
1: And I I get it. You want Star Trek to be a little more edgy, but, and Star Trek has had some hot and steamy moments, but it felt like they were doing it just because they could do it. Right. There was no story reason for it. Mm -hmm. And when Star Trek does dive into sexuality, it's more because of the story. Mm-hmm. is driving it, not because it's like, whoa, let's show some boobs and ass, and yeah, just because we can. like that that's not Star Trek to me, right.
2: Okay. so
1: I, I I completely agree with you. it It was very overly sexual. And you can do a fan film without that. Exnar mm-hmm. did that an amazing fan film. No sex at all, right. like continues, continues has some very sensual. Original series like scenes, but mm. it's not like, oh hey captain, and you know the uniforms
3: aren't. You guys should be seeing Eric's <laughs> <laughs> Eric's acting here. No she
1: brings out the boys to the yard. so, yeah, it's it was too much. It was too much.
3: Yeah, and and now, <laughs> uh, the scene that we've been talking about a lot throughout. Or mentioning. Oh, God. Um, this is the worst. I mean, so, there's a scene with uh, the Betazoid and Icheb.
1: Very early on. Like, maybe the first half hour when right. uh, when Lexa gets her ship back and they're planning the mission.
3: So, the point of the scene is to set up that she has a genetic defect that prevents her from reading thoughts. hmm But... Yeah, she she's a Betazoid. Because she's a Betazoid. But, because of this defect, she has this telekinetic ability where she can make people do things. Like, move. Right, move. Again, (sighs) it's shaky, isn't a smooth, because you can see that the person is fighting her.
1: And she's struggling with the power
3: anyway. Right. So, in this scene... (laughs) God... I don't know how to describe the scene. it's, okay. it's a really I'll bad scene.
1: scene. So, you know, she's she's sitting next to Ichab because Ichab's working on his stuff, and she's like, "Oh, well, I can help you." And he's like, "Well, I don't need your help." And because Starfleet did this to me, and the and all this stuff, and she's like, "Yeah, but I, you know, my genetic defect, I can help control people," and but and they were trying to introduce the backstory, but I'm like, if you've been working with this guy for a couple years, you already know all this shit. Right. And him, him describing it to her was terrible dialogue. That whole scene was terribly run. Mm-hmm. It sucked.
3: Right. It, it, no, I completely it was, agree.
1: It was poorly run. It seemed so forced. It was super forced. The only point of that scene was to do forced character exposition for the audience Mm -hmm. and it made no sense in the story if these characters have known each other for at least a year no sense whatsoever well i and she even said i've offered to help you before then she then he already knows that you have the powers like it's not like i don't get it it made no sense it was to have such a bad scene early on that soured my mood for the rest of the the movie, and it made me instantly dislike her character. Right? It, it was so bad. It was so bad, and yeah. I, I'm, I, I, felt bad that Icheb was dragged into it because it's like, don't ruin that character for me. And, <laughs> and it was, it was just like, yeah, and Section Thirty One. I have a grudge, and oh, they did this to me. Bad, bo- bad CGI, bored gun, <laughs> like. <laughs> That was the only bad effect in, in Renegades. That was terrible.
3: Yeah, I was reading someone else's review and they like, why could not they just have a like an a actual physical. physical yeah, physical prop.
1: Instead of tracking and, and you can see that during those like fighting scenes and in, in the tunnels, mm-hmm. like it's digitally imposed and some you can see it sometimes like shift on his arm. I'm like, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. That was so bad. Just
3: build a physical prop. Yeah, I mean, they could have it CGI come uh, in.
1: Like, like the like, transformation sequence, right. yeah. Yeah. But then have a physical model
3: of it. Right. And it it, it would have so been bad. cheaper,
1: it too. So yeah, it was
3: bad. So, yeah. And with the, the Betazoid, why not just have another species instead of a Betazoid? I don't know what it's meant to show. Like, why do you have a Bezoi with telekinetic powers? Why not have a Because,
1: because they're renegades and outcasts. And she's an outcast. <laughs> oh, I guess, I guess that would make her
3: an outcast. Yeah. Um, I I mean, it would make more sense to set up a new species.
1: I like that they had a brain in there.
3: Uh, yeah, that was cool. You know, but, what, know what made more sense? You have this you, Cardassian well, on there still, right? Yeah. Well, he died. At this point, did he die? <laughs> No, right? no, not, not not at that point. Okay, at no. this point, how introduce the Cardassian to the um the
1: Yes, because he was the new character on the ship. Yeah, he was the one that didn't know everyone. Right. So it would have been more natural if if there was a scene with with her instead of Icheb, Two characters that's supposed to know each other already, mm-hmm. and then he. Then you can have the and say, well, what's your deal? Like right. it would be more, it would be more, like it would be make more sense if Lexa introduced Garrus to the crew and we, they, they kind of did that with Jara and him. Then she didn't do a good job of introducing him to the rest of the crew. Right. She, she gives that, Hey, this is busty betazoid. What's her face. They, there could have been a thing there. And then he could have reacted to each of like holy crap it's a borg what the hell Right yeah And then and then he's like then each could have been like well I was a borg voyager saved me but when I got back here the federation that would have made more sense Yeah Ah it's just it's so frustrating just changing that one thing would have made me less pissed off about this movie Yeah But to have two characters do this forced exposition when they're supposed to know each
3: other. Horrible.
1: Bad, horrible writing.
3: Bad, bad, bad. Yep. So, moving on. <laughs> that was a big... Sorry, I didn't mean to <laughs> gripe on it, but it was No, it was no, literally, I literally agree with you. I agree. It's literally totally. my biggest
1: complaint. It derails the movie instantly within the first 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, it was... I think I even live tweeted when I watch it. I'm like... God, what is this horrible? Like, scene. I was just like, that scene just It made me just want to go, oh, God, I don't want to watch this anymore. Right. That one scene. Yeah. We had an easy fix. That's my biggest complaint about this movie. Uh,
3: yeah, because we, I mean, we just fixed it. We just fixed it. We,
1: we just fixed it. Just fixed it's it. a simple
3: thing. Yeah. We should be writing for them. So, what else don't we like? Uh, so. <laughs> oh god, yeah, this again It's another revenge story
1: I'm so sick of it I'm s- Star Trek, Star Trek in the darkness Blah, I'm mad against Earth Blah, The Federation, I'm gonna do something to the Earth We get it, Jesus Right It's another revenge story, it sucks
3: Yeah Which I think is why the conspiracy angle Would have been better to go with
1: and even then the 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 alien at the end who was you know inside Grant and Mahara or whatever mm-hmm. was like oh you humans think you're the center of the earth well so does anyone who writes for star trek it's like mm-hmm. the earth is always like ooh there's some danger there's Earth's going to get blow up. The Earth's blow up starfleet and the federation are bigger than earth right. yes the the seat of government is earth but Earth could blow up tomorrow and you could easily have the Federation be headquartered through Vulcan. Mm -hmm. Like earth isn't the center of it. Yes. Humans were the primary factor in creating the Federation, but every single time it's like, let's destroy earth. I need revenge against earth. Here's another thing to blow up earth. I'm done with this in star Trek. Mm -hmm. If star Trek three has another goddamn villain trying to blow up earth, I I will refuse to watch it. I don't care if Idris Elba is in it. I don't care if Simon Pate wrote it. I don't care if Justin Lin directed it. I don't care if William Shatner makes an appearance. If it's another revenge story on Earth, I'm done. I'm done.
2: <laughs> I agree.
1: That, that's the biggest thing with Renegades. I'm like, "Oh great, the human or the aliens are going after Earth again." Big whoop. Like I don't care.
2: Right. <laughs> I don't care.
1: You're right. The conspiracy angle would have been much better to go on. Yeah. And plus the next generation uh, episode conspiracy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was a great way. I, I, I like it when there are conspiracies within the Federation. Right. And that was a big thing in deep space nine with the whole changelings mm-hmm. that infiltrated Federation. Right. That was, that was an amazing story. Yeah. So, yeah, like, the, the whole the whole blowing up the Earth, I, I don't care anymore. That, that's so overdone in Star Trek, it's dumb. Dumb with that. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take the wind out of your sails, but... <laughs> no, the, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm so sick of Earth being the, the one to get blown up in every Star Trek thing. I'm, I'm done with it. Yeah.
3: No, I agree. The next point is something we've also talked about in this episode, yeah. Many uh, established characters in the story don't reflect what we've seen in canon. The example that I have is a nice Doctor Zimmerman, which we we said earlier.
1: Yeah, he he was a bit nicer than what we've come to expect. Again, I can forgive that a little bit because it's ten years of of future history that that we don't know story wise. So it could be that he's seen the error of his ways. Mm-hmm. You know, he must have reunited with the doctor once Voyager came back. You know, maybe the doctor helped him change for the better, which we saw a little bit in Voyager anyway. So for me, I can I can see that as more of an evolution of Dr. Zimmerman's character. But yeah, even the established characters, like we talked about Tuvok. Like, why would Tuvok go from security to a covert Section 31, which I think he would be against just in principle as a Vulcan. So, right
3: And next up, the Andorian's brain device. So what can't this thing do? It seems to record memories and has the ability to patch a user directly into a computer.
1: It's a pretty magical device. It can do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I like the effect that it used Andorian script which we've seen before in Enterprise. Mm. So I love that aspect of it. And we know Andorians are, you know, they've got their own covert ways from Enterprise. Right. And you know they they were also spying on Vulcans and stuff. So I can see them having devices like this if, you know, they're they're more of them are spies mm-hmm. or that they have this kind of intelligence technology but again it's more it's like a backstory for a character that we know little about and they didn't give us a lot to go on. They didn't even name what that thing was right It was just like oop I got it on my forehead and it, it looks like other species can use it without a problem right And that's the thing like touch upon Andorian biology you know mm-hmm. have have the anar completely integrated, their genetics into Andorians, so now maybe in the future, since Enterprise, Andorians have more uh, mental abilities like the Anar, mm. because in Enterprise the Anar were becoming extinct. We saw them intermarry with uh, Shran's daughter,
0: mm.
1: so and and in Enterprise Andorians were being used for the Romulans' telepresence devices, right the, the anar which are an Andorian subspecies so i do like the connection that there's this device because it fits in the canon of what we've already seen with andorians
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is primarily through enterprise right um so it was a nice touch but you're right it's more of like a what can't this thing do it can do it all like watch it chop julian fries like right uh, yeah, there, there was definitely It was a definite like MacGuffin of this, of this movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've agreed with all of your points. Uh, I have a couple more uh, points. Okay. Whatever this technology you the the siphons are using, why can't it be something already established? When I thought of of the, the siphon devices, I immediately thought of the Iconian gateways mm-hmm. in Star Trek. That were already said to be on most planets. Why not use a canon thing that's already in the show? Right. Like maybe maybe the siphons uh, tapped into the Iconian gateways, and now they can use them to destroy planets. That would add more credibility to Renegades. Like you're using a canon thing, not this already or not this new thing which does the same thing as something else that's already (laughs) in Star Trek.
2: Right.
1: So that that was just, that was lazy to me. I agree. We already touched upon the awkward character backstories. Mm -hmm. There there were others too. I mean, like, even when uh, the the doctor was making out with Louis Zimmerman and she was saying things that he already knew just for the benefit of the audience. Like, oh, you know, I can't come with you because uh, I did this thing. And it's just people don't talk like that. They don't talk like that. Like, oh hey Aaron. (laughs) No, hey Aaron. Remember that time two weeks ago when I saw you at at your wedding? (laughs) Ha ha ha. Like like who are you saying that to? Right. Like people don't talk like that. That that's that's the one thing. I I hated this character so much.
3: (laughs) Yeah. The Chekhov's,
1: record. Chekhov's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. It was so forced. Every mm-hmm. scene she was in, like, I like the first scene. The first scene was okay, where it's like, "Oh, pappy, and yay!" And I mean, because it's establishing that Chekhov has a family. It establishes his age. It does all that stuff. Right. But then you get that fourth scene. Literally, it's like a two-minute scene in the middle of everything else, where he's talking with her in the garden. And she's like. Oh well, you know, we did this exercise, and you know, could we you know the the assignment was if we risk if we could risk ourselves in a situation, would we do it? Like the most blatantly obvious foreshadowing in the history of foreshadowing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, oh, we had this like no-win scenario, and he's like, Well, what would you do in that situation? Oh, I don't know if I could do it, <laughs> and then That literally, right after that, the next time she visits him, holy, she somehow has a bomb in her. (laughs) Right. And it's a, whoa, it's a proximity device and don't get too close to her. And what do we do? Let's, oh, let's immediately phase her her arm off. (laughs) Right. Well, it's just
3: dumb. It was dumb.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, And then we never see her again until the very end where she's like, Oh, it's nice to see you, Grandma. Oh, look at my arm, which is now it's a robot, and I'm I need a need tan. To
3: a t- yeah, <laughs> I need a tan. Yeah,
1: horrible, b- badly acted, super forced, and the, it was it was just so dumb that did not need to be in there at all. Like, yes, it, it's it's saying that the conspirators are on to check off. And they threaten his um, daughter. And so now, ooh, now it's personal. You know, like, oh, that gives Chekhov the reason to fight. But he was already invested in the fight to begin with. And we already saw the conspirators try to take someone out because that was Talia's introduction. Right. So we don't need another scene of the conspirators, you know, doing something else to someone.
3: Mm -hmm. It could have been something, they could have used that time for for more like actual story, more yeah, story, some character development. It was bad. Something,
1: and I I saw in the credits the actress is basically the daughter of you know the writer or something. It's it's like a cameo. Yeah. So she was obviously shoehorned in there. It was bad. It was just bad. It was awkward. It stuck out. If you want to have a cameo like that, then just stick with that first scene where Chekhov meets his granddaughter and that. Because Chekhov is already invested in this fight. He's already investigating it. He doesn't need more motivation to go after these people. Right. You get what I'm saying?
3: I, I, I get what you're putting down.
1: Alright. <laughs> that, that pissed me off. I was like, this is complete bull****. Well, tell me what, how so... you
3: really feel, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. And then they did that dumb slowdown, like... Oh, there was a thing. lot of that no. that I really did not like there was a lot of slow-mo scenes when like phasers are being pulled out and and
1: toy is like i'm running over to the transporter and 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 chav's like no and then you know alexa pulls out the phaser like and then you know she's walking down the hallway i'm a badass like uh, oh god it was just it was bad yeah
3: That wasn't the only scene that did slow-mo. There were several scenes, action scenes, where they slow everything down. I don't know why. You don't need to slow everything down.
1: Yeah, it's it's an action scene. Action scenes go fast. Right. You only use slow-down moments when, oh no, a character's life is super threatened. How are they going to get out of this? Dun-dun-dun.
3: This isn't the Matrix. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, Another point, this... Renegades is too heavy within its own story setting up future storylines with no payoff. Right, Because a second episode, not guaranteed. It might not even get funded. Right, And then you're left with all these dangling plot lines. If you're doing a pilot, just leave a little bit open like what they did at the end, but introduce your characters, get some stuff out of the way. Don't lead us with all these questions with no payoff. And... That's why I felt the villains, the siphons, were a complete waste. Because, you know, we get all this backstory, and then most of them die within this episode.
2: Right. It's huh.
1: bad. Right. This is definitely not for new people in the Star Trek fandom. Obviously, with all these with all these characters that have been established, Renegades is already very niche. The only people that are gonna be watching this are already Star Trek fans. Right. So you I think they were trying to appeal for like newer audiences too. And when they did, it just compensated with all this awkward exposition, which was mm-hmm. my biggest gripe a, a few points ago. So just know your audience. Know that you're reaching a niche of Star Trek fandom that is just interested in fan films. And that's not even that's not even all of all of the fandom right so they were trying to compensate that with with just this act, awkward stuff
3: and overt sexuality yeah it's like Ooh, boobs
1: <laughs> or, or as the honest movie trailer guy says boobs
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then we already talked about the star trek costumes
3: yeah so that that's uh that's bad, Too bad. <laughs> so okay out of five stars what do you give it uh Five,
1: uh Five. Uh, or do you want to do a one to ten scale?
3: I think I would seem nicer if we do one to ten. <laughs> okay. What do you give it? Um, I'm going to give it. <sighs> I want to say three out of ten.
1: <laughs> and that's somehow more. <laughs> Does that translate to like one and a half stars?
3: Something like that.
1: Well, divided by two, yeah. You you just gave this movie one and a half stars out of five.
3: Okay, so one and a half stars out of five. I give, I give it two stars. Two stars. Uh, or out out of ten? five? Out oh, of five. Out of five, all right.
1: I give it two stars. Out, so it's like a four out of, out of ten, which is still horrible. That's bad. Yeah. I think the only good points that really save it are the recurring characters and then Fixer. Mm-hmm. And the only boobs I really did like were the blue ones from the Andorians. So,
3: <laughs> well, you have a thing for Andorians anyway. I, I do. Well, well, not that way, but
1: um, <laughs> well, maybe. Um, <laughs> no, it's just um, the, the, those 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 returning characters and the really amazing effects. Without those effects, I wouldn't even have bothered watching this.
3: Yeah. So I mean, and the recurring characters, would this be something that you would watch again in the future?
1: It pained me to watch it a second time before we reviewed it. So no, (laughs) I'm not going to watch it again. Okay. I'm not going to watch this episode again. I might be slightly curious if they release a second one, but only to see if it improves if it's the same stuff, Mm -hmm. I'm done with it forever. I don't care who they get to guest in it again.
3: Okay. So you, you would still watch a second episode of renegades.
1: I would watch a second episode, but I never want to see this first episode ever again. It's an hour and a half of of my life that I don't want to waste. Okay. And if I do watch again, it will only be the Andorian scenes. So,
3: (laughs) there you go. Alright, so there you go. How did you like uh, our listeners out there? Did you like Star Trek (laughs) Trek Voyager? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hey! (laughs) Don't bring Voyager into this! There's enough Voyager already in Renegades, right? You don't Uh, need to drag them. I'll I'll put it this way. The worst episode of Voyager is better than Renegades. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Threshold. The one where Tom Paris turns into a slug because he broke the warp 10 barrier is better than Renegades.
3: That's pretty bad. That's pretty
1: bad. That's how I feel. Okay. But audience, how do you feel about (laughs) (laughs) it?
3: Yeah. Tweet at us. How do you feel about... Star Trek Renegades, and let us know. Tweet us, um, Facebook and, us.
1: I mean, really, no offense to anyone on the Star Trek Renegades team. Like, I love Tim Ross, mm-hmm. but you guys, honest feedback from two dedicated truckies, you guys need to work on the on the writing a bit.
3: Yeah, I think this was a valiant effort. It's better than anything I could. Oh, done.
1: oh, absolutely yeah i mean i'm not gonna raise whatever they rose and and do all this stuff like I said throughout this visually from start to finish this movie is amazing mm-hmm. the effects the uh most of the effects like the arm right. thing work on that right the wardrobe that wasn't starfleet great mm-hmm. but visually everything's great it's just all of my complaints are mainly with the writing and the bad yeah. story choices. Right. So, if they improve on that in the second episode, oh, hell yeah, I'll, I'll be in for more. But if if they just do par for the course, like, if this is the best that they can give us, then no, I'm, I'm not going to get invested in it. Right. And I'm really glad, I'm sorry to say this, but I'm really glad I didn't donate anything to it, because... Mm-hmm. I was tempted right? because uh, they did have some uh, cool perks. But I think the one thing that I've invested in and the reason I've invested in it multiple times with Axanar is because from the start, they proved themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not only with the effects, but Prelude, even their teaser blew it out of the water. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I need to see more of this. Right and that's why i'm i'm so excited for the main XNR project because prelude was amazing and mm-hmm. that's what has kept me coming back to donate to their thing from the start renegades hasn't like okay you've got the big names but even some of their preview teasers like with just Chekhov off you know talking to the camera right. it really didn't sell me
3: right and then that music video I don't know what they were thinking with that. That was bad. So
1: I I don't mean to write on it because there's a lot of amazing people that are involved in this. But they got to work harder to keep me into it. Mm. And I'm just being honest as as a hardcore Star Trek fan, as a Trekkie.
3: So what would they need to do if they had another Kickstarter? What would they need to do to get you or me Uh, (laughs) or anyone else to donate?
1: I think, I think hire a writer that's actually been involved in the show. Like, like get a writer that can, has already told a bunch of Star Trek stories. And I know that may be hard with the budget that they have, but like, I'm sorry to the writer of this, but it was very weak. Like that, that force exposition was my biggest problem with this.
0: Mm.
1: So to get me back, guys, you got to hire a different writer. Yeah. Do something to write a better story because, and no wonder, wow. No wonder the visual effects look great. The One of the visual supervisors is Tobias Richter.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: So, I mean, come on, you've already got someone who's worked for Star Trek. So get a writer that's worked in Star Trek. Really? And wow. Opening credit, title credit, additional music, Dennis McCarthy, who's also done work on Star Trek. Mm. So just get a writer that's been on Star Trek.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh my God. USS Archer design by Rick Sternbach. Mm. Come on. And conceptual designers, John Eves. Yeah. These are all people that have worked on Star Trek. Oh my God. Yeah. No wonder the visual effects look amazing. Yeah. And the concepts. it looks like it's in the Star Trek universe because these are the guys who designed the Star Trek universe. Right. So then get a writer that's been that knows star trek and knows story pacing because the that that forced exposition really killed it for me and i i know i sound like a broken record but it was bad
3: yeah
1: so that's the thing that they can do that would bring me back okay. is hire a known writer in the star trek franchise if you need to push more budget to that do it because i'd rather have a solid story than flashy graphics.
3: Like speaking of you, which, yeah, uh, you know who's coming out with another episode soon? Who Star Trek continues? Seriously? Yeah.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. I am down for that.
3: Yeah. And you look know at know it, how because... many episodes they've they've popped out. Like for... uh, yeah, I how when did Renegade start? It must have been around the same time as continues. Is, does it say on Can their you website? Say it?
1: God, I don't know. It just felt like Renegades took forever to come out. That's what it felt like.
2: Yeah.
3: No, it totally Whereas, was. yeah, it
1: continues. It's like, boom, here's an episode. A couple months later, hey, here's
3: another episode. Okay, so Renegades copyright 2012 to 2015.
1: Three years for this episode. Not impressed. They've had four different campaigns. They've had a Kickstarter campaign two indigo campaigns and paypal supporters for one episode
3: okay so star trek continues has had four episodes and their fifth is going to debut at the salt lake city uh, sorry salt lake comic con on september 25th
1: yeah but they've also had numerous shorts as well
3: yeah yeah they filmed the first episode in january
1: 2013 okay so in less than half the time or a little bit more than half the time, they've put out five episodes of content Mm -hmm. and Renegades has done one.
2: Right.
3: Yeah. I think that speaks for itself. Indeed. So thank you all for listening to us as we (laughs) explored. As we
1: we (laughs) about the Star Trek
3: universe, please share and comment on this episode. You can find me on Twitter at Nova Charter.
1: And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, uh, Riza, even though I don't post there, um, at TrekkieB47.
3: And again, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Trekkie later. <laughs> Son of a bitch! <laughs> You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on Facebook.com/sfescapepod, and add us to your circle on Google+ Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com.
1: This has been another proud production of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. you want to see more shows, go check out www.FourEyedRadio.com,
0: you winkers.